this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hey everybody, this is Byron O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, and I have the pleasure of introducing comics creator James Asmus, who's coming on the show today to talk about his new Dark Horse project, Survival Street. Thanks for joining me today, James. Uh, thank you so much for having me and taking the time, Byron. Yeah, we've got a lot to unpack with this book. Um, there's <laughs> quite a bit of buzz about it. Tell everyone what Survival Street's about. Uh, so Survival Street uh, takes place in a near future America where effectively uh, corporations have gotten everything they want. Every uh, ability to, uh, you know, they already have some of the rights as people, but in our near future, they get all the rights, including being able to run for office. They fund their own campaigns and effectively privatize the entire U.S., roll back all protections for people and, you know, any public services become private. So basically we're in a capitalistic apocalypse. <laughs> um, you know, child labor and uh, paying for uh, the ability to drive on a street and just absolutely everything. So um, of course, among the things that change, uh, public television of course gets shut down. So the very real creatures and monsters that previously were, uh, you know, so-called puppets on children's television shows have no jobs anymore. And a small group of them become a roving band of mercenaries to keep helping kids <laughs> in this uh, crumbling capitalist uh, hellscape. Um, so who's going to love this book? And you can't say everybody. I did, but I'm not quite right in the head. So. <laughs> uh, I No, I would never say everybody because um, I don't, I don't need people who are going to be mad about it. Um, I, think, uh, I think people who um, don't mind books that are venting and angsting and, and riffing on real social issues, real anxieties about uh, uh, the future or even the present, um, but also who are able to laugh along some of that too. Um, and you know, uh, my co-writer on this, Jim Festante and I, we met doing comedy. We were uh, in, uh, in, improvisers and sketch comedy people, and we ended up doing a show together in Las Vegas for a while. And he and I both have a love 
for making kind of dark emotional comedy about very real things, but blowing them up to such a ridiculous place where it's big satire that still kind of bites um, at, at real issues. And so I would say, you know, not everyone likes that because some people just want to read comics for escapism. Um, we're probably going to remind you of too much and stress you out. <laughs> um, some people can't, they just, things, uh, issues they care about are too emotional for them to, to be able to laugh near it. I don't think we really try not to make the jokes at the expense of something that's like severely serious or, or where there's kind of a real uh, victim at play. That's not funny to us, but we're very aware of like how something two feet to the left can be funny. Uh, and so, or, or a character's reaction in a certain situation can be. Um, so if you, if you don't like that, it's not for you. But otherwise, if you like big gonzo surprising action, if you like the idea of um, absurd recontextualization where you're getting puppets as basically the A-team um, traveling around uh, these heightened social satire scenarios and solving things with violence, um, then I think you will, you will like this book, or at least you should definitely give it a try. Um, yeah, fans of weird stuff, fans who need to vent about the world we're in now, and um, just people who like a book that you've probably not read before. Well, the, this dystopian thing is kind of the meat and potatoes of the comics medium. Sure. This, this takes it in a whole new direction. You know, uh, what I think you, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what made you want to twist the characters we all know and love, at least derivatively, right? From that derivative yeah. lens and use them to talk about corporations that have messed everything up. We're all doomed. Like, were you in this sleep deprived, caffeinated parent delirium? You'd watch too many episodes of Caillou or Encounter <laughs> or something or... You know, that 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 might have been the secret origin. I didn't even realize, but it's true. <laughs> my daughter is just about to turn five. Okay. And I think this was something I cooked up about two, two, three years ago. And Jim and I developed after that. So, and he's he's got a little one too. So I know we were in the throes of these shows. Um, I think, you know, for us, we we really wanted to write something that let us tackle and vent about a lot of stuff that currently is stressing us out or that we feel like we see someone straight-faced arguing, hey, this policy would be great. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. The, if you logically apply that rule or that principle, you're saying it just for this, but step two of that is something worse. And step three of that is something insane and really dark. And you're, you're, you're not showing anyone that path. You know what I mean? And for us, whenever we see stuff like that, we really feel like, are we insane? Or is saying this mean we end up here? And so um, so we, we had a lot of those things kicking around. And when we were just talking about, okay, what's the world where companies, all if all their lobbying money works, if they got 100% of what they're pushing for, what's that world? And then at some point there was just this idea of like, well, of course PBS would be shut down or any other like, you know, public good educational thing. And so, and I think there's just the offhanded joke like, oh, those poor fuzzy creatures and monsters and helpful friends, they'd be out on the street. And I think realizing something clicked like right away. It's one of these ideas that just almost 
pulls into my brain like fully developed, right? And I think what, why we loved it is those kinds of characters are so known to us and all of the different like children's educational wholesome entertainment from, you know, uh, from PBS, but also like, uh, uh, you know, your Fraggle Rocks, your, um, like any of these other <clears throat> uh, shows that you, you have such a, um, an early emotional endowment. And to me, I think I took them so seriously as you do share, you do respect everyone. You do, you know, uh, it's these ideas of inclusion and empathy and, and generosity and all this stuff we realized are like antithetical to unbridled capitalism right, which is, which is get as much as you can, squeeze the little guy as hard as possible, um, you know, like uh, uh, look out for number one, just all of this stuff we realize is just the exact opposite. And these are figures or, or a, type of, a type of character that has iconography that like immediately is colorful, but also absurd. And so it, it gives a candy coating to this bitter pill, right? That we yeah. can we can play all these gags about the reality of if these things are alive and there's some other, you know, um, genus species in our, in our world, um, or just the quirks of all these characters who are designed for kind of like fluffy comedy. How do you, where are they still like that in this disaster world? Where are they, a slightly darker version of that, but it, um, yeah, it was this multi-pronged thing where we realized they have principles that we immediately understand in our perfect contrast to the world. There's someone we all have long held understanding for who they are and love for them. So I think it, it gets the character, it gets the reader hopefully on board and kind of emotionally invested in these characters faster. Um, and then, yeah, it just lends to a colorfulness and an absurdity to balance out, um, you know, what we didn't want to just be like listening to a, um, you know, to like an economics lecture or something like that. <laughs> sure, yeah. That, that's no fun in a comic book, I would think. Right, right. Yeah, there are some other examples of this childhood character imagery usage and pop culture you know, Avenue Q, Death to Smoochie comes to mind. So oh, yeah. where were you, you and Jim taking your inspiration from? And God, now I've got the internet is for porn in my head. So Oh, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, uh, I'm definitely a big fan of Avenue Q. Um, and I feel like there was, um, yeah, some, some stuff I've seen and some I've not. It's been a long time since I've seen Death to Smoochie. I, I never saw that uh, Melissa McCarthy um happy time murders um but you know way back in college i saw peter jackson's meet the feebles which even when i was in my edgy content phase was a little more than i was into um i appreciated the sentiment but it wasn't uh it's not in heavy rotation for me um you know truthfully i don't think jim and i looked to other things that did this oh you know what maybe the closest would be a short-lived MTV2 show called Wonder Chosen. I don't remember that at was, all. Yeah, so this was a dark adult version of those shows, but fully in that format. And so it's it's crazy, some of the stuff they pull off. And so um, uh, it's I haven't watched in a while, so I can't say how it's aged, 
uh, culturally, but there's some amazing stuff in that. And it really was, it felt like it was getting away with something, but it also was really saying things. Like they had a whole thing about how much of our culture was built on slavery and we don't acknowledge it. And like, so, but they do it through the format of like a, a multimedia children's educational show. And it's, and so stuff like that, I think maybe, maybe that one probably without being conscious is, is a bigger influence on me. Um, for us really, I think we, we're aware it's almost a subgenre, but we, I think we focus more on our own goals rather than how some other things did it because we are really telling a, um, like an in-world story where that, that kind of, that show is their, that's their background, that's their flashback we get every once in a while. Um, but we really more so approached it as, you know, characters with different values and personalities um, who didn't want to have to do this mission, but they're the only people who still have that kind of hope and, and see themselves as, as really needing to, having the purpose of trying to help and educate kids in a world that's kind of abandoned that. Um, and so I think we really focused on kind of the, the specific goals and the weird, the weird brew and formula of our premise more than we did kind of other things that are like it. It's interesting. I know when Jim, when the book got announced, Jim dropped it in um, Reddit to, or, or someone else had put it in Reddit and Jim responded. And there was someone who was like, well, this has been done before because it's <laughs> like this. And Jim was like, it's so deeply unlike that like those two things you're naming, like if you read the book and I was like, I know, but don't, ar don't argue with these yeah, people. <laughs> but I was like, yes, the concept of puppets in something adult is, has been done before, just as a person with superpowers has been done before. <laughs> and exactly. Yet, and yet you can tell a million different stories with tone, different tone, different purpose, different, um, complete effects, you know what I mean? Like like how what the end result ends up being. And so I think we're in a space where it's very different from that stuff. Yeah. Uh, if only because what all the other elements we're throwing into the stew have different, um, uh, uh, they're so transformative. Well, let's, let's get into that. Like the, the felt American characters. How'd you yeah. go about building this motley crew of characters? You know, like what were, what were you looking for? You know, creating a team. It's, it's so. Yeah. It's team, um, right. Yeah. Luckily. Um, what, one of the things is that I, that I love about co-writing in general, but especially uh, co-writing with Jim, who um, this is our fourth published project together. And, and we also had done some animation development together, but um. Uh, he and I just generally riff on things until we, when we both get excited about something and like it, then we know it's kind of, there's something there. You know what I mean? We're, we're not just immediately sold on each other's BS, but <laughs> um, um, uh, I think for this, we were really thinking about two things at once. And one is kind of the spectrum of um, purity right? Like, like the, the closest to the, the, the purity of what you would have known these characters from the original show, right? And then this, the cynicism of this modern world. And we wanted to create a spectrum that kind of 
also charts, frankly, between who we were in our youth, absolutely believing in every one of these sentiments versus now wishing that they were still there, but aware of how many forces try to actually undermine them constantly, yeah. you know, and, um, and, and sort of, so one thing was creating a spectrum from hope to cynicism. Uh, another one was what are some different kinds of characters from, from shows like this that, that have different flavors or offer a different like comedic game, mm -hmm. um, uh, or, uh, emotional grounding, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, uh, the lead birdie, um, is, is someone who, who is your, she's kind of the midpoint of that hope to cynicism spectrum, but is having to fight to keep herself in the middle and not, not fall into cynicism. So in that sense, we really related to her the most. Um, and she maybe has less of a comedic game because she's just trying to hold it together and hold all these insane, bigger comedic archetypes together, um, which is pretty fair in the way that Kermit maybe has less of a, a, a big comedic gag than, you know, Fozzie or, you know, um, Lou Zealand or whatever, you know. And so, yep, yep. Um, uh, that was maybe a further reference that I needed to go, but... Um, uh, but anyway, you know, then there's other people. So it's like um, hippie, hippie, the giant pink hippo is our most sincere, hopeful, unadulterated. I don't want to say naive, but like just just pure joy. And to get a giant pink hippo in rainbow overalls is, you know, um, this idea of those full body puppets, your your Barneys, your big birds, your um, you know, any, any of these just full body costume, people walking around Disneyland, you know, as, and, and this idea of broaching that space where kids look to this person still with wonder, even though objectively it should be kind of terrifying. Yeah. And, Especially when they um, go on full Hulk smash, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's just it. The, they have the, the best comedic tension of um, refusing violence, but once they're pushed to violence, it would be this nightmare powerhouse to have just like a 2000 pound giant pink hippo um, go crazy on you. And so, so, um, so yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, he and I just kind of have years of, we both spent like 20 years with live comedy being our focus before we became kind of full-time writers and, and creators in that space. Um, so I think we still just have some of these instincts where we don't even have to like, calculate it out we just toss out like oh and then we need something like this we need something and you know you're thinking about how does what's a team you know you need your leader you need your loose cannon you need your like practical person who's going to hack the system and do whatever and so for that it was the idea of tony the troll um making a a something kind of like an oscar the grouch but leaning more into this idea of like recycling and some of these other kind of more modern uh, shows that you might find on, on Netflix or something where it's like, this character is going to teach you how to turn an empty two liter soda bottle and something else into, you know, a propeller boat or whatever. Yeah. And, and some of this more like MacGyvery uh, project to upcycle things. And so there's kind of, it, it's marrying some of that iconography with some more modern sensibilities of like crafting and stuff like that. But, but to then also fill that 
classic team role of he's your tech guy, he's your hacker, you know what I mean? So th there were a few, we were kind of triangulating a bunch of stuff. I feel like this whole concept is simultaneously one of the most complicated things I've ever worked on, but also it all made sense to us as like how this is in contrast to this and runs parallel to this other type of thing we all understand, right? Like the mission team and these kinds of kids entertainers, we kind of get those tropes and it lets us work in a more complicated world that maybe this type of apocalypse has not been explored before. So we were always triangulating what's familiar, what's a weird twist we could put on it, and how does that play in contrast with the more complicated social stuff we're tackling? Yeah, I mean, after reading the first issue, this would never work with a singular character. It's the team that that oh. makes it work, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you have a background, the improv, writing comedy, um, performing comedy. So so what's that that secret to to make us laugh at those, those darker aspects of our shared experience and, and not just get bogged down in, in the reality of it? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I, I wish I could really answer the secret because I, my so much of my focus in comedy was trying to get at things we are uncomfortable with and try to find, okay, well, I know we don't, kind of like what I was saying before, I know we don't want to, for good reason, laugh at X, Y, Z. Um, uh, and, but I, I firmly believe humans have a tendency to just stop thinking about a thing we don't like. Mm -hmm. Stop thinking about a thing that makes us sad, that makes us uncomfortable. And what I love in comedy is trying to say, okay, well, I want us to think about this thing. What's a way that I can take two steps away from the real open wound sore spot? That's the line. Yeah. yeah. And, and take two steps to the left and there's plenty of space we can explore. We can talk about things. We can find ways to laugh and relieve our tension and anxiety to let us live in this space a little longer to think about some aspects of a thing that we've just been pulling away from. Right. I just don't want to think about um, this type of person, this type of situation, my own mortality whatever it is. And it's like, well, but can you tell a fantastical story that's just off of the, the open wound, that's just off of the sore spot? So we're okay, the audience is like, well, I'll try it. And then you give them enough candy and musical numbers and things like that to get them to hang out. And then all of a sudden they realize you're bringing up various points. And now they've got some food for thought to chew on once they're done with your musical, your sketch comedy show your comic um that that's what i love but i don't know the secret other than to know what is to know what really hurts and to not not attack people there to not push people there but to go just a few steps away that you can talk about the thing that's on your mind um and, and then just remember, it's an audience and they paid you money and they want to have fun. What's the audience going to say thank you for at the end? And if you just try to hurt them, they're, they're not going to say thank you. And they're not going to come back next month with four more dollars in hand or not go see your next show. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I'm hyper aware of the audience and 
giving them having some idea of what I hope they go, oh, I really enjoyed this. Even if I was a little sucker, like emotionally, I got sucker punched by this, but hopefully they get why and they appreciate it, but you, you gave them enough pure enjoyment too. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me, you know, that difference. And there's my curiosity with that line, your, your background doing improv, because you can read a room, you know, yes, always that element. So, and I suffered anytime I was wrong. So you learn yeah. to calibrate your, you, you, and you can, and I, you know, comedy is so subjective, obviously nothing works for everybody, but really when you say the room, like yeah. what you got, you got to learn how to please enough of the room that the show keeps going. Uh, Cause if enough people are audibly or just vibe uncomfortable, other people will stop laughing because of that. So you just got to figure out like, yeah, you just got to learn to hone your targeting instincts uh, about um, how can I, how can I bring the most number of people along with me into, into this dark and scary forest that we didn't want to go into. Well, let's get into the open wound for me, right? Because I live in Florida. So why'd you have oh. to set the first issue in Florida? I mean, it's obvious why you have to set the first <laughs> issue in Florida, but. Yeah, so yeah, we go we go Florida, uh, Texas for number two, California for number three. Um, and then we don't specify where four is. It's partly in New York and it's partly just kind of anywhere USA. Okay. Um, uh, but we really made a point to want to bring California into because I know Florida and Texas are a, a, a type of persons um, kicking, kicking. Oh, we're around. easy to punch on right now. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I Jim Jim still lives in California. I lived in California for eight years. Um, I lived in Louisiana. I live. I grew up in Ohio. I lived in Chicago. Now I'm in Oregon because this is where my family all ended up. I want free babysitters. But so, you know, I've been in. A, I've been in a bunch of different cultures, and I've seen the beauty and the horror of of everything of red states and blue states and everything. Um, but Florida <laughs> um, definitely feels like kind of ground zero for some of what this book is uh uh the, the you don't have of, to step on landmines i'm not trying to no 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 landmines. but i no but i truly mean like the kind of policy of like you know performative deregulation or um you know uh some of these things it just felt like exactly the the right thing and you know it's interesting because i would say most of these issues have kind of two or three things we're talking about at a time like climate change factors into it while also like how we treat migrants factors into the first issue and um like you know uh, uh the idea of people as property uh if you you know and and where that can blur the line with things like adoption or stuff like that um and i know some people who have gone through bad situations similar to that my my wife worked with people who uh when she used to work in a child psych hospital with foster care families or adoption families who did it to get money and tax breaks and then falsified reports to get their kids put into mental care so that they didn't actually have to deal with this child but they were still getting checks for ostensibly being the person in charge of the kid and so there's just knowing that there's horrifying things like that um that's exactly what these heroes would try to save kids from. 
And so that's, that felt like a pretty good starting point, but there's just this cosmic storm of all these things we want to talk about. And certainly the, um, uh, uh, yeah, some of that had to bring us to Florida. So we just, we, yeah, we went right for it. <laughs> oh, it, inevitability, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't take the credit or all the blame for this. So <laughs> you have you have your writing partner, Jim. Tell me about how Jim and you guys became the future skeletons, which sounds like some Bill and Ted era Wild Stallions, late, <laughs> you know, late 80s, early 90s stuff right there. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Um, yeah, so uh, Jim and I, right about the time I moved to Los Angeles from Chicago, um, I had worked with a, an improviser and comedian, uh, Matt Donnelly, who works with Penn and & Teller, and he co-hosts Penn's podcast, uh, if, if there's podcast uh, jumpers out there who want to check that out or know it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I had worked with Matt and Jim had been a longtime comedy partner with Matt. Matt had moved to Vegas and got um, bankrolled to start doing a, a monthly improv show in Las Vegas. So he started bringing us out from Los Angeles to perform with him and celebrity guests uh, doing these like monthly shows. And Jim and I just kind of really had similar sensibilities um, and hit it off and he had been kind of wanting to work on more writing since Matt was his writing partner and they were now in different cities. And so he and I started developing um, uh, the comic we first did together for Image, The End Times of Bram and Ben, which is like a bad behavior buddy comedy in the biblical apocalypse. Um, we, we first developed that thinking maybe we would do it as like a web series starring ourselves. Um, and really quickly what we wanted to do and what we thought would be funny or has to happen became so epic and large and visual with you know angels and demons and everything that we were like we can't pull this off and um but I had been working enough in comics and I was like well let's try and do it there and that was such a wonderful experience that he and I have just kind of always had a project going together because of that um, and then when we recently did a sort of 
don't know, middle grade, young adult, all ages book for comicsology originals called Field Tripping. Um, we had to create our own publishing name because they're like, no, you're your own publisher. You own it. We're just licensing it from you. And um, I am always fixated on the fact that I'm going to die at some point. <laughs> um, uh, if nothing else, because I also like have a bunch of medical problems, but mm, I've just always found that interesting. So one of the things I tossed out as an idea was future skeletons, um, because aren't we all? Right. And um, my friend Lucas Kettner, who's a great artist, did a design of like, an 80s version of like a future punk but <laughs> skeleton and I immediately fell in love with it so we just really embraced that branding as like us working together is future skeletons um uh but yeah so he and I just kind of you know since we started we've always kept working together like I was saying earlier you know um if we both like an idea I generally feel like it works and so it's such a faster way in my mind to get to good comedy rather than sweating and second guessing myself and all this stuff. Like I write comedy on my own, like writing Bill and Ted, writing some Rick and Morty stuff, um, you know, various other comics I've done, uh, Quantum and Woody, stuff like that. And a lot of times if you have a good editor, they're weighing in, they're, they're talking to you on the phone, they're letting you know if something's really good or like, eh, maybe th rethink this part. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, also just working by myself now in at home is such a far cry away from performing on stage and getting audience feedback and, you know, working sketch is really collaborative. Improv is really collaborative. The theater work I did was really collaborative. I did stand up for a few years, but I didn't enjoy it as much because of how isolative it was. So, you know, co-writing, uh, it's not, it's, it's not always faster, but it's, it, it balances me out psychologically. It kind of like scratches some of that itch and it kind of is a, a, a socialization that I really miss as a as an extra, one of the rare extroverts in comics. It, <laughs> um, it's, it's very helpful and cathartic. So yeah, he and I just kind of always have something going on that we're working on. Well, let's get into the rest of the team. So yeah. comics being an increasingly international endeavor, Mm -hmm. Abele is from Kazakhstan, I believe. Abele is from Kazakhstan. Yeah, Abele <laughs> Kusinov, our artist, um, is in Kazakhstan. And um, we just sort of connected uh, online. And I really liked his work. And he was really interested in working together. And um, Jim and I had started in earnest really developing uh, Survival Street at the very beginning of pandemic as just kind of our our passion project to keep ourselves sane. And it was kind of the thing we wanted to work on, um, even if it never went anywhere. And once we found Abelay, I was like, I think his art might be good for it. But obviously no artist has samples that look like a bunch of puppets right. in a war zone. And so, so, you know, I cautiously was like, would, you know, would you do some character designs? And they were so pitch perfect from the beginning. Like he absolutely got the spirit of the book, the intention of the book, the, the possibility of it, that his designs were capturing, you know, symbolic references to some of these characters that were inspired by, but making his own, like completely his own things with this real lived in sense of the world and, and logic and great, just fantastic emotional and 
like comedic expressions for the characters, which is, I think like a whole other level. It's interesting. We were working with some guest cover artists. Uh, every, every issue for this series has a cover by Abelay and, and a B cover by a guest artist. And a bunch of our guest artists were like, I, how many more designs do you have? Because I've never drawn characters like this. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. Like, yeah. so even these great experienced artists, it's like, this is a little odd. I'm not used to drawing this. But Abelay right away had this super deft language of really making you feel the emotions of a puppet character, of really selling the a wide range of comedic reactions and takes and, you know, all this stuff from the characters. And um, and just having great designs. So he, as soon as we saw everything he was sending us, we were like, okay, we just for ourselves, we have to pay him to do like at least a short. And so we just put together like a 12 page short. And um, I wasn't sure if I was just gonna print it and have it as like a comic convention exclusive or something. And then I showed a couple publishers. because I was like, eh, I would love to do more, but I expected everyone would say no because of the, social political nature of the book because it's such a weird concept but um everyone we showed it to was interested and um that that made me even more confident about what we were doing um that 12 pages is not in the series okay uh, just because once once we set up with dark horse for four issues there's all this other stuff we wanted to tackle and we had sort of already absorbed that cost we're like uh, let's just do four more and it'll get out there in the world somehow or in the trade we we ended up printing digital qr codes and we're sending those to comic shops okay for them to be able to give away nice um, okay for uh so hopefully if readers are interested listeners are interested hopefully you can contact your shop and see if they got that or if let them know that you wanted it uh when it comes in okay well, and then you drag poor Ellie right into the picture here. <laughs> yes. Right. So there's this real throwback aesthetic to the color choices. You know, topographically, it, it doesn't have that vibrant depth that like all the superhero books do. So it feels like, it feels like Sunday funnies, you know, everything's oh, yeah. toned down. So what, yeah. what was the intent there? <clears throat> well, you know, we, we kicked around a few things trying to find the look for the book. And I think for us, it was kind of a mixture of, um, these, these characters in their, in their original state would be pure candy color and, um, in this super clean soundstage, you know what I mean? But yeah. we, we really wanted to show kind of the world around them has kind of dampered their purity in, in a way, right? And so a big part of that is the color story. So there's still, you know, there's still a rainbow of characters and they're still, uh, you know, they, they don't all become, you know, the, the Justice League black and white version, but it's, it's um, uh, but it, yeah, we had to show that, you know, there, there is an effect and, you know, if nothing else, you got to figure a deregulated world is filled with pollution. And so at the very least, okay. there's going to be a layer of soot and grime and everything. Uh, uh, so, so there, there's, we kind of realized there's maybe a bit, a bit of that while still having, you know, the characters still pop against the world, but it's, um, they're, they're still compromised by it too. They, they don't feel like Skittles, so. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that to me is a tonal thing too, right? Like you don't, you don't want to 
split people's brains in half and ask a visual tone to be so totally disconnected from some of the 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 more earnest moments or you know grim moments or things like that so we wanted to kind of um echo it all the way down like signal it from if you're just browsing the pages give you a sense of kind of where we're, where we're aiming there's there's color there's absurdity but it's still got some everyone's hit by some corruption it's going to be a little dirtier well and you've got uh uh, what Taylor Esposito handling the lettering duties? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah go and ahead. I I had wanted to work with him for years. He worked on so many books I love with so many friends of mine. A lot of great independent comics, and everyone I know had always said he was great. And he, um, you know, he he's a great advocate for letterers on um, on Twitter, especially. And we had interacted a bunch there. A uh, person I've used a bunch before, Crank, who I collaborated with, who's wonderful. He was not available for this. And, um, you know, I had previously worked with Ryan Ferrier, who's a great writer and a, a great uh, comics letter. We worked with him on field tripping. And then he was kind of stepping away from lettering. So all my all my people keep breaking up with me. Oh, no. And maybe because we put too many words in our books. But um, Taylor, uh, I reached out to him and he was... Uh, gung-ho to do it and he's been an absolute pro he's a great collaborator um really all of these people are um like <clears throat> ellie really took the time and cared and gave us a whole spectrum of stuff to consider and um everyone's been a delight to work with and you know that's even if people do good work it's it's, it's not always a the most pleasant experience, but everyone on this is just um, totally lovely, totally invested, um, really have cared to put in extra sweat and thought and communication. So um, it's, yeah, I, I, I feel, I always feel very lucky when people are interested enough in something I want to do or Jim and I want to do that they really throw themselves into it. And all of these people have really delivered and, and just, they keep elevating the book, right? Like, and so you just, it's, it's probably, Jim and I were saying, it's probably our favorite thing we've ever written together. Yeah. And then just to see people absolutely capture it and understand it and keep bringing it upward as you go is something we're so grateful for. But it's a super easy visual buy-in. I mean, from, from the drop, there's a moment of brilliance at the beginning that really helps set the tone where the, the American flag point counterpoint is changed and the stars are now corporate logos that that was perfection so whose <laughs> idea was that that was so good um yeah that was something that we kind of like half half wrapped our heads around as talking about like yeah wanting to signal a new american flag and we're like i don't think i don't think in you know the the usual thing would be shown like a faded and torn flag and i was right. like i don't think that's what this is i think it's you know, we've recarved up the whole place to be private company towns and like state borders might be different. And, you know, sovereign, like this company now makes all the rules in this swath of land. And um, I don't remember who it was, but someone was like, oh, well, then the stars should just become, you know, made up corporate logos. And everyone was like, oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And then, and then Abilene, like I was going to say, you know, do you want us to like suggest some logos? Do you want us to split up, like have people make different ones? He was like, oh, I already did it. Here it is. And it's like, oh, it's great. And they all 
you know, it, it's one of those things, he just turns things around and it's like, oh, that's exactly right. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm glad that jumped out. I feel like our lead-in page is one of the most terrifying bits of... <laughs> I was like, what am I in for? This is yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the scariest things I've ever been a part of writing because so many people who've read it are like, this feels like it could really, like when you just say, this happens two years from now, this happens four years from now, this happens five years from now, here's the world. And people are like, that feels more believable than most apocalyptic things I ever read. And I was like, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I can't even tell you how many times recently idiocracy has seemed so prescient as mm, film mm -hmm. i'm just like yeah anyway well yeah the the you know we wrote at least the plots for these four issues like a year ago and in the ensuing year the number of things that we thought were comedic exaggeration that have come like really a lot closer um in terms of rhetoric or like just the line on some of these issues has moved towards it we're like we gotta get this book out um yeah I mean, even the fact that like, I think it was in March when like Ted Cruz and some other people started picking fights with like Big Bird on Twitter or stuff like, like some of the stuff. Elmo, I was like, I was like, can we just announce the book now? Because <laughs> I don't want people thinking this book is based on Ted Cruz's tweets when it's yeah. something we've been working on for two years, but it would be so perfect. But we, we weren't quite there, but um, yeah. Sadly, the world is catching up to us very quickly. I hope by the time the trade comes out, it doesn't just read like the news. Oh, that would be tragic. Like you just see a pile of the trade on a, you know, of the burning cinders of, of the city that has fallen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Dark Horse to me has, is really, really stepping up as a publisher. Like it, it's amazing. Some of the stuff they're putting out. How did, how did the project land with them? Um, so since I've, uh, shortly after I moved to Portland, um, I kind of met uh, our editor, Daniel. Um, I met him kind of socially. And a number of times he was like, hey, want to pitch me something original? And uh, I did because I've loved Dark Horse for ages. Dark Horse was really um, the, it, it, it was really the publisher that got me off of just being a superhero reader because when they had their legends line in the 90s which was sin city madman hellboy concrete like all those things coming out i all of those in one way or another jumped out to me and i started reading one after another after another and it really got me to start branching out into stuff that wasn't just uh superhero books um one extra shout out to Strangers in Paradise, which was the non-Dark Horse book that also got me uh, spreading out my, my shopping habits. But um, uh, yeah, and so since then, I've just loved them as a place that does things that are both popularly appealing, but also new and kind of thoughtful or subversive or, you know, just that I feel like they've they've really backed creators a number of times. Um, like they'll do big initiatives and pushes and even having like burger books or things like that. You can see they just always have this passion for doing something interesting. Um, I kind of didn't have something that I thought was the right fit for Dark Horse. And I wasn't entirely sure if they would be into this, but once we wanted to, we knew we wanted to do the book for it. I was like, well, I'm definitely gonna send it to it. Cause I can, I can squint and I can see, you know, the actual comics for the mask are pretty political and social commentary. Um, 
And I was like, you know, I guess if you have something like that and some other people I know who recently have been doing books there, like The Worst Dudes or, or things like that, I was like, you know, there's kind of a, um, not just the books I love that I think are maybe a little bit more serious comics, but are, are beautiful and creative. Um, but I was like, I, I could see enough stuff, maybe they'll do it. And I said to Daniel, and like I said, a couple other publishers I showed to were interested, but he right away, he literally read it like that night, came back and was like, I love this. Can I make, can I get them to make an offer? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and, then, and then like before other people had a chance to respond, Dark Horse had, given us a, a wonderful offer that is this is a creator-owned book like we it's still ours but they really helped us make it um they have been really supportive in helping us promote it daniel's an editor who really just helped us make the book we wanted to make but weighed in you know just a couple times to make sure our aim was right on or to to think xyz about the market you know what i mean yeah um but it was never trying to guess to change anything we were saying or doing. And I truly feel like it's like doing a pure creator own doing, you know, having worked at image or, or some of these other things, but having a big established company really try and help us be set up for success. And so I, I'm incredibly grateful um, to, to Daniel and to, to everyone there. And I'm, and I'm, I'm so tickled because as someone who that's, that's how I started looking at original things was Dark Horse. And now to have a book with them yeah. is like a, a real bucket list um, thing for my career. And it really feels so satisfying. And I, I'm so excited to have it be one that I really love this much too. Yeah. Well, this is four issues. I think we're playing. Yeah. 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 It's currently planned for four issues. I know Jim and I could do a lot more if the audience is there for it. Oh, um, I think they will be. I, I sure hope so. We definitely know. Um, we have a whole spectrum of other stuff we'd love to tackle, including I would love to do. I'll just call it out right now. I would love to do a special about Portland living in. Portland oh, yeah. Yeah. And the problems. Portland has, <laughs> um, um, uh, with a whole spectrum of great Portland artists, if we could get them. Like, I almost want to do an issue, a big special, more like some of these shows, which have different segments and different sort of multimedia kind of things. And sure. um, so we've, we've got a whole bunch of ideas of things we'd love to explore. And it's a world we think we could keep going on and we love it. So I, I hope people dig it and check it out and um, let us keep going. Yeah. you'll never have a shortage of artists or anybody to collaborate with in Portland. Cause like, I think half right. the people I talk to live in Portland. So it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Having lived in, when I started in Chicago, um, I was a little shy. Uh, uh, no. in, well in the comic scene, you know, okay, I mean? okay. because I, um, I got hired off of a show I had written that played in New York to then just write some stuff for Marvel. And so I was a little self-conscious about like, Oh, I didn't cut, like maybe I didn't pay my dues in comics. Like I did it in other writing. Right. But I felt a little self-conscious going up to people and uh, that I had loved their comics work for years and being like, where'd you come from? What did you do? I've never seen you at a convention before. Um, but like Tim Seeley and Mike Norton and Chris Burnham reached out to me right away and they were wonderful Chicago people. Um but when I moved to Los Angeles, a million comics people live in Los Angeles, but they don't get together. They don't see each other. There's, it's not a community. Right. And then when I moved to Portland, it is a community. There's 
there's regular events to get together and to network and just catch up. And um, especially having Helioscope as a studio that like 25 people, you know, operate out of or circulate around, it really helps ground a big communication network. So, so being able to plug into that and make friends and collaborators that way has, it makes this a really good, I think, um, a supportive community. You can learn from it. You can get jobs from it. You can, it's, it's how I hope, it's how I hope more places are with each other. Yeah. This will stave off the real, the real survival street, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're practicing the principles that my characters are advocating. You know what there I mean? Collaboration, sharing. Yeah. How novel. <laughs> so what else you have in the pipeline? What else you got cooking? Um, the things I can talk about are uh, Bill and Ted Roll the Dice is a, a new Bill and Ted relaunch uh, for a new publisher Incendium Comics, uh, Opus, sorry, Opus Comics, um, which is tied primarily to music, uh, musicians and music properties. Um, they, uh, that's coming out in June. And our premise is sort of because they cheated their way out of hell in uh, Bill and Ted Bogus Journey. Satan basically tricks them into coming back into hell and having to play a real life RPG uh, uh, in order to, to, to try to battle for their souls. Uh, and they end up being able to summon a raid party from all of history. So, uh, you know, Joan of Arc and their, their is their knight and their wizard is Alistair Crowley. Oh, and, nice. Uh, and there's some more fun from there. Um, but it is, you know, for people who like, hell and metal and monsters and uh dungeons and dragons and bill and ted and comedy it's it's a big mashup of that okay um so that's coming out uh and then one of the weirder things that is sort of low-key been announced is uh, i wrote the official rick and morty cookbook uh for warner brothers which is coming out in october okay um and so don't worry i didn't write the recipes but i wrote all the stuff around it that makes it rick and morty and absurd so um so those are the two that are publicly discussed. we can talk about coming yeah. soon yeah <laughs> okay so where can people find you online where would you prefer they find you online Maybe oh sure better. yes yeah that's always a better question yeah um i'm most active on twitter at james asmus uh, all run together and then um, i'm trying to be a little more active on instagram at james underscore asmus because i didn't sign up fast enough um and on either of those if you click through my my business i think you can find um i have unlike some people a free email list which <laughs> um nice uh uh is really just like monthly but um i'm making a point to send out usually something of free entertainment substance every time so uh the last one had uh a video of a comedy performance I had done with Conan O'Brien and some other people a few years ago. Um, I'm going to be sending out some, you know, free short comics uh, in future ones. So if you sign up for that, I really don't fill up your inbox, but it's just kind of letting you know about when you can pre-order stuff, sneak peeks at things, and then uh, recommendations of other stuff you might not know, and then some something to actually entertain you that's not just advertising. Well, my last question, it's the most loaded one ever, but <laughs> does humanity have a prayer? I think we need to cover Oh, that. gosh. You know, that's a great question. Having kids, I I have to try to convince myself the answer is yes. Yeah. I don't, 
know. I don't know. There are days where it just feels like you see four news stories at once about the forces of evil being better organized and really being on the move. Yeah. Um, I do think a lot of the active players for evil are really getting up there in years. And I'm, yep, wondering, yep. I'm wondering how things are going to shake out if they just, you know, reach their natural life expectancy. Um, and other younger folks who care about climate change and things like that um, get to take the wheels a little more. Um, but I think it's, a, you know, I think right now we're really in a race where they're aware that they've got to beat the clock. Um, and so I think these next, I don't know, 10 years are pretty important. Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of why I think Jim and I just had to write something about it to to exercise these demons and stay sane and maybe put a couple more articulate points on some things that are really that we see in some of these issues that I want people to chew on. Well, I hope we've teased enough about the book to make everyone want to pick it up. It's wild. You know, my personal experience reading it was laughing, crying. I feel like I'm reading it on the lounge of the Titanic all at the same time, right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to call it though. I, I really do think you guys score an award for this because I think it's fantastic. So. Oh gosh, thank you. Um, uh, that would be great because it's one of the ways to get people to maybe try reading something they were worried might be vegetables. And I don't <laughs> think it's vegetables, right? Like it's not, it's not, um, yeah, I don't, I think it's more fun than I sometimes made it sound like it is, guys. So just give it a go. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a lot of fun. I hope I hope we've like definitely conveyed that element of the book because it is hilarious. Oh, good. I get so serious talking about comedy that I worry it sends the wrong signal. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, it's it's been a real pleasure having you on today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Thank you. It's a delight uh, to talk to you, especially so um, kind of substantively. So thank you. All right. Well, this is Barn O'Neill. On behalf of all of us at Compagetti, thanks for tuning in today. And we'll see you next time if we survive until then. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.